Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome back to Disciple Making. I'm Buren Ride here with Tim Beadle, and we are coming to the end of the section on contrasts in the book In the Way by Damien Girk. Church as we know it can be a discipleship movement again. And we've gone through five major areas of contrasts, covering 24 contrasts, coming to number 25 today in a minute. We've looked at who the church is and how it differs in a legacy church versus disciple making movement. We've looked at what the church does how the church is led and developed, how the church engages with people, and how people engage with the church. And there's been a lot of water under the bridge. That's literally been, I think, Tim, a couple Ooh. dozen episodes. And uh, so. now we're coming to the final one. It's in the section on how people engage with the church. And as we were just talking, this is a big issue. This is a critical issue, this number 25. Where are we going today? Well, you know how they say we, we leave the best for last? This is going to be the most... Um, Maybe earth-shattering, challenging. Uh, like this may change uh, people's trajectory in ministry, especially if you're a leader, a pastor. Because mm. today we're going to talk about the model, the faith model of who we uphold to be the key figure in allowing a disciple-making movement in your church to actually uh, become the leader of this movement. Uh, Usually we think, you know, the elders or a pastor would be the leader. But today we're actually going to uh, contrast the different uh, models. If the pastor is the one who people uphold as being the sole example, uh, related to more of a personal discipler, uh, more of a mentor who works with you as well. So we've been looking over these last weeks in terms of uh, participation, you know, passive attendance versus active obedience, and in terms of interaction, more of a knowledge sharing or mutual accountability. Uh, in terms of engagement, uh, do we get people involved right away or do we delay it? Last week, we spoke about uh, when someone errs in their faith, uh, it's easy to remain hidden if you aren't in a, an accountability group, and especially now as we look today, uh, in terms of the senior pastor versus a discipler, uh, the premise is, is that, of course, Jesus is the example of our faith. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole uh, term disciple means uh, basically you are imitating someone else. You're an imitator, you're a learner, you're an apprentice, however you want to phrase it. And, of course, Jesus is the one after whose life we are to emulate and as Bill, Bill Hall has said, uh, you know, being a disciple is living your life as if Jesus is living his life through yours. Hmm. And that's made possible through the Holy Spirit's uh, active presence and preeminence in your life. And uh, we, we all know that childhood game Simon Says, where the leader says, Simon says this and Simon says that. And as long as it's Simon Says who says it, then you are to emulate or do it. But if there is a uh, command or instruction without the name Simon Says, uh, you'll be out of the game if you aren't paying attention. Uh, so so in our faith, it's Jesus says. Hmm. Jesus says this. But of course, this side of heaven, I, I think that the, the reason that God has put us into church families, we're, we're a body, is that uh, we come alongside each other 
And as Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.11, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot easier if there is, um, well, there's a little joke about this little boy in bed. And he was thundering outside and he was calling out, mom, mom, it's raining. And she kept coming in and said, um, you know, after four or five visits, she says, Jesus is with you. And she said, I know Jesus is with me, but I want someone with skin on them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and in this chapter, we're going to talk about uh, the person with skin on them, who mm. you allow to become the one you emulate or um, uphold. Uh, ideally, in the legacy church, I don't know, uh, the pastor is like the ideal model. Hmm. I don't know about you and your pastoral experience. Uh, have you ever been put on a pedestal at, at all over the years, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> I've been put on a pedestal, knocked off the pedestal, jumped yeah, off exactly. the pedestal, jumped back on. You know, yeah. 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 And what 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 Tim is just starting to allude to here is how in our model yeah. of church that we look to the lead pastor as the example, and and one of the key ideas we're going to be digging into, I think, is that that is not the ideal example. And I I would say when I was a lead pastor. I was not the ideal example because A, I wasn't a disciple maker in, yeah. in, a, in a proper sense, but also B, I have a very unique role as a lead pastor, very different lifestyle, different gifts. And unless we're, you know, trying to raise up lead pastors, the lead pastor probably isn't the best person to emulate in their, their lifestyle and life. Yeah, no, I, I think the pastor needs to be one of many examples uh, but when you think about it, um, if you want to have someone who's an example to you, but also a personal encourager to you, mm. someone who holds you accountable, uh, let, let's be off. Uh, let's just be honest. How many people can look to the senior pastor to fulfill that role? Mm. And um, you know, capacity clicks in, yeah. and um, it's just impossible for a lead pastor. And I've been a pastor over thirty years. Uh, you, you can only, you know, spin so many plates and keep so many balls moving. And and so often uh, we don't allow individual people to be the priority of our ministries just because that, that opportunity is really snatched from us. Mm -hmm. But this is what we're talking about here in a disciple-making uh, movement church. Uh, we have to have relationships in which uh, there, there's easy access and ongoing encouragement and that's impossible if you are emulating yeah. uh, the, the lead pastor to fulfill that role. Oh, yeah. It's it's simply a biological fact that we cannot interact on a significant level with, you know, with with everyone in a mid-sized or larger church. It's, it's impossible. We don't have the relational capacity, the time, the ability. And if our model relies on that, which in a lot of cases it has, that just makes it really easy to break the model and disciple making to break down. Because it's yeah. actually impossible if if the disciple maker period is the pastor and the way it's done is one to many, it just doesn't produce disciples. Yeah. And so when you look at the legacy church model, people come to church for, for, for a lot of reasons. But, you know, the majority of our worship time is uh, in listening to a message, a biblically based sermon, hopefully. And that's how they judge whether they want to come back and listen to the guy or girl next week, hmm. even though. Unless you apply it within four days, you remember probably less than 5%. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a sobering effect. But in the moment, uh, you can be challenged and, and uh, 
perhaps humbled by the Bible message, but there, there, there's no follow-up. And, and this is one of the unwanted barriers in the reality of a disciple-making movement, when we allow the pastor to become the ideal model, there, there's just no personal prolonged contact. And um, because of that, what we do is we assume the pastor is living an amazingly perfect life hmm. in terms of spiritual uh, and ex- you know spiritual exemplification to us. And so we put them on a pedestal. And we almost don't want them to be human because we want them to be perfect so that we can look up to them. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think in uh, Damien's book, he, book he, he talks about how we make them also almost into like pseudo celebrities. Mm-hmm. That's the pastor. That's the pastor. And I know uh, over the course of time, uh, when I visited, when I coached churches, and I went into Filipino churches particularly, mm-hmm. it's almost like they, they treated you, um, it, was, it, was, it almost made me uncomfortable because it was almost like they, they, they wanted to bow down because you were the pastor. Mm-hmm. And and um, uh, in the moment, I had to grow through that because it's always nice to be liked and need to be needed. But that, that's very unhealthy in, in mm-hmm. the big scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it puts us in a dangerous position because we can start to believe our own press. That's right. And start thinking that, in fact, we are essential. And, and that, you know, that's the pedestal build. And there is something that the flesh likes about that. Uh, we like encouragement. We like to be, you know, like people to yeah. compliment us and things like that. But that is not, again, that, that is something completely different than disciple making. It is. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and, and we, we could say, obviously, Jesus was a, quote, celebrity in his day. But he did some very boiled down focused ministry with a few and that's where, you know, that's that's really where the difference is. Disciple-making, teaching happens one to many. Disciple-making, it happens one to few, is my belief anyway, Tim. Yeah. So if we go into Scripture, Paul encourages the believers in Thessalonica. He says this, You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering and with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you became a model is that word, model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in those places, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Wow. And so, so here we see this beautiful biblical model of Paul. Yeah, and I'm sure when Paul came to the churches, everyone wanted to crowd around. But but he here is upholding this model that, that they were to become imitators of Paul, who was imitating Christ. Now, when you think, Paul didn't have too many examples of who he could imitate. He was sort of uh, at at, at the starting line. uh, And so he realized that he had to be a major example, and he was. uh, But he always called people, even the church in Philippi, to this partnership of the gospel so that people's faith could be known everywhere, not just to know about Paul, and others, because that wasn't a model that he was trying to espouse in front of the people. It was more uh, a personal one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three. Do, do you want to unpack that model a little bit, Darren? Yeah, I mean, he he really got explicit about it in Second Timothy too. Of course, that the things you've heard me say in the presence of many, yeah. and trust me, liable men who will also be qualified to teach others. 
And we see in, in, in the greetings of his letters, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in the letters. I've memorized lots of the letters and, you know, he, he talks about very specific individuals yes. and some of the interactions he's had with them, some of the work he's done with them, Priscilla and Aquila and, and all these different people. And, and he clearly had gone deep with some people just as Jesus had. Yeah. And then it was able to hand off ministry to them. Again, Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy, Titus, people he transmitted, not just knowledge, but a way of living and a way of doing ministry. And so you don't have to look very hard to see it, that that really is a pattern and a model in the New Testament. Yeah. So now we're, we're going from the ideal where the, the pastor is the model to the real, which ideally would be a, a disciple a, in the local church today, usually uh, I have never come across people saying, well, I'm a discipler. Hopefully that will change. Uh, usually we might call them a mentor hmm. or even in, in a familial aspect, a parent over a child, over a teen, over young adults or grandparents. Hmm. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, model. But here we're talking about someone who's a little further down the road. And remember, and I tell this to people that, that I've worked with, you only have to be one step further than them to lead someone in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. But especially in the early stages of faith, uh, where the foundations of faith are established, it is so vital to have as close to a one-on-one -on -one ratio as possible. Uh, I don't know about you, and historically, as you've seen in the church, when someone accepts the Lord, you know, we say, well, let's put them in Alpha. Uh, which starts in four months from now. And, and and there's just not an urgency to get them grounded in their faith. Uh, several, several weeks ago, uh, a friend, her name is Kim, uh, and, and she is in, in Alpha. She had a couple of women who accepted the Lord. And immediately she came to me and said, okay, what do I do next? And, and, and we found a, uh, this is going way back, New Life Studies by John Maxwell. This is, these are these are decades decades old, but they're biblically based. And I, I made copies for her. And rather than give them to these two ladies, she is meeting with them continually. This is a beautiful model. That's why I'm sharing, because they need to get grounded in their faith. Yeah. And and that that's the reality of this. And I, I don't know about you, friends in your church. You know, biblically, you, you count what is important because it displays your values. How many disciple makers or multipliers can you actually identify in your own local church? And are you one of them? Mm. Um, it's kind of awkward. Uh, usually those are the metrics or the dashboard by which we measure success in the local church. But I believe if, if you truly want to take uh, Jesus' word and Paul's challenge seriously, uh, we have to align with this. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. If, if, if the church is not making disciples, and when we talk about making disciples, we're talking about multiplying disciples, uh, then listen to this. In all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible are a waste of time. That's what C.S. Lewis says. And uh, I guess he was a smart guy, a very deep thinker. Uh, yeah. But I think he he saw the light as as we see the light that that we can keep on going and doing what we've done before, but it's not really honoring the Lord's command to go into the world, into our world, hmm. and make disciples, uh, this, you know, baptizing people so they identify, and then uh, teaching them to obey all the things that Jesus has commanded us, and His presence is there, His authority is there, and um, 
this is why, you know, as we come to the end of this section in the book, uh, uh, sort of Damien holds the best for last, because this is what it all really settles on, the model of the ratio in terms of how we're discipling those around us. Oh, yeah. And we'll probably read an excerpt from that before we finish this, yeah, yeah, this session for sure. But, but you know, as you're talking, I, I'm thinking to myself, okay, if, if we measure disciple makers, you know, then we have to, again, and we've done this many times in some measure, we have to be able to find what does a disciple maker look like? How do we, yeah. how do we say this person is a disciple maker or not? Right. You know, and, and I think of some of the reading and learning I've done in disciple making movements, how a disciple, someone who makes disciples, who makes disciples. Yeah. And, you know, one of the definitions of a disciple making movement is that they can trace four generations yeah. where someone has made a disciple at second generation who's making a disciple is making a disciple and they can see that it's happened 100 times. Wow. wow. And that's their standard for this is now a disciple making movement. And so if we just zoom right in on that four generations, that's quite a challenging metric to look at as a, as a pastor, as a leader, as a disciple maker. Am I making the kind of disciples who will multiply so that I will have great grandchildren spiritually? That's right. Happening. Right. That, that's a beautiful picture. Last week, uh, or last time, we were suggesting that uh, there's a belief that there's a pattern of over-dependence on our systems and approaches in the Western mm. Church at the expense of absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit to guide and direct the process, because you do need organization, mm. only as he can. And uh, did you want to share, there's, there's a profound quote in uh, this this uh, chapter as well. Did you want to uh, share that one, Darren? Which one are you looking at, the modeling one? Looking at the modeling one, yeah. Yeah. Modeling is where the discipleship rubber meets the road. What new disciples see, experience, and practice is what gets passed down to the next generation yeah. of disciples. What isn't seen, experienced, or practiced does not. Yeah, so therefore, if you look around your church... Uh, the way that you worship together, the, the depth of which you share with each other, the uh, presence or lack of presence of multiplication is because that has what is what has been modeled to you mm. in the last generation or two, and that becomes normal and status quo. Yeah. Uh, what we're trying to do here is look back biblically at uh, the call of Jesus on our lives and look past the status quo, spirituality, and uh, sort of uh, get cut down and thrown off the pedestal time and time again and, and uh, get on our knees and uh, truly desire in our heart uh, to obey Jesus. I, I heard today uh, that it's one thing to obey, but if you do obedience for the wrong reason, it becomes legalism. Mm. But if you obey, truly obey, it should lead to honor. And the best way we can honor Jesus through obeying him is to actually do what he asks us to do. Well, he said, yeah. if, you, if you love me, <laughs> you'll obey my commands. And, and this is this is the big command that unfortunately, so many of us have not obeyed. And for some of us, we just don't know how. We don't have examples to show us. So, so this is the journey that we're on, mm. of uh, making disciples that make disciples. So all of us are learning from each other. I'm learning so much from, from Darren. The last year and a half as we've been doing these podcasts and uh, we just pray that you'd stick with us as we continue to uh, walk with you of sojourners on this disciple making pathway. Yeah, and we are probably going to have a few episodes where we look at some of the practical next steps here. There's actually some chapters in the book. As we were talking earlier, we're going to look into some of that. But here's, I think, a really good way to land the last words in this chapter in this whole section 
If you've never practiced disciple-making movement principles and practices before, begin now by modeling disciple-making to one individual That's right. who will obey and train others, just one. It is the most important and effective thing you can do to contribute to accomplishing God's purpose in our time. Yeah, when I was reading that, uh, I was thinking, you know, maybe the first person you have to have an encounter with is the first person when you look in the mirror and see yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because unless you're truly sold out on this, uh, you can look for someone else and it may not last. But this is something that will not let you go. But it's time for us to let you go. So so thanks for joining with us again. My good friend, uh, Darren Wright, I'm Tim Beadle. We, we invite you back along the disciple-making pathway in the coming days. God bless. God bless. Press on. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.